1: Thank you.
2: Okay, here we go with this week's episode of the Midweek How, the non-paranormal part of the From the Shadows podcast, and uh, with me, as always, is the uh, infamous and world-renowned Ozark Howler. How's it, going? How's it going today?
3: It's too early to tell. It's too early to tell. It's late yeah, we well, usually here. we do this in the afternoon, and I've got a whole plate of, of good and bad, but now it's too early to tell. okay well well for for all of
2: our longtime regular listeners uh you know every once in a while we we have a have a guest and we have a very interesting and exciting i think guest (laughs) he's he's laughing like oh god uh but uh uh, i gosh how could i'm gonna i'm gonna use his own words i think to describe (laughs) them uh he is a pop culture writer and trash culture obsessive so welcome welcome to uh, the midweek howl mr nathan raven how's it going
4: good 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 thank you for having me
2: <laughs> um now, before we dive into the deepest uh, parts of what is Nathan Raven, um, and we want to thank I want to thank uh, Jason Weber, who was a guest with me in the Howler uh, a little not too long ago. You might remember he was uh, Cardi Finkbeiner's, uh right hand man for a little bit, the mayor of Toledo, and uh, and uh, closely associated with the insane clown posse. So, uh, so what I know, so what I know of. Uh, having done some research on nathan he you know just from that little blurb he's obsessed with pop culture and what kind of let's be honest other than religion and politics what really makes america (laughs) run what makes america run despite dunkin donuts making that claim um but i want to there's something going on right now before we dive into this that i think on one hand the Holler will have a unique perspective it, on it. And Nathan, I think you'll have a unique perspective on the this last weekend of all the quote unquote UFOs or unknown objects being shot down by the United States and the Canadian government, and even apparently China claims to have shot something down. So I want your take, Holler, on maybe a more uh, a government take on it, <laughs> and then I want your take on like, like what, like, like you know, pop culture. You know what that whole UFO frenzy meant in the 40s and 50s, and why it's not, why it's a little bit different now. You know, so Holler, what's, what's your take on that? I, you mean as far as
3: these dim guys blasting away at these unidentified <laughs> objects? Yeah, yeah. Like what? What okay, do you? Okay, so I'm going to tell you, hey. Ten years ago, if you were an infantry guy in Afghanistan, they'd put you in the penitentiary for shooting unidentified objects, right? You have That's to good. be sure of your target and what's beyond it before you can engage in it. So I don't understand who's who's commanding these people just to go out there and shoot a bunch of shit down, but they probably need to stop. Okay, <laughs> That's the first thing that comes to my brain. The second thing that comes to my head is – well, I'm not even going to say it. I'm not even going to say it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I I have such, you know, there's nothing wrong with the government. It's just the people in it is the problem, right? So, so I don't know. Is did they just all suddenly pop up? You know, like mushrooms. These unidentified. You know, they. How come we didn't have them a month ago? Right? And if we did, I come not know. We knew about it, right?
0: So, well, I
2: did. Well, I did read an article that said because of that weather balloon, they readjusted the radar to start um, checking out things at a lower altitude. And so now these things that would have normally escaped uh, detection are now showing
3: up. Or, you know, they're, now they're quote unquote. That them, could you know, be, That could be. I just, you know, I told you about the wheelbarrow. German story, didn't I? The wheelbarrow, no. What I told was you the wheelbarrow, German. Oh, I know. I told you the wheelbarrow. I don't know, story, right?
0: <laughs> so the
3: short version is this: I, in my previous life, I had to talk to a judge about a deal, and it didn't come. Well, you know, he didn't know. He he signed a search warrant that I needed, and we searched this guy's stuff, and it it just didn't pan out, right? So. In, in the in the federal system, when you do a search warrant, you have to do what's called take the return back to the judge that signed it. Usually within – it's by 10 days by statute, but usually you go But for respect. If you get something really cool, you bring it in there the next day, right, or if or mm-hmm. you don't get anything like me. So I walked in the magistrate's office the next day, and actually the judge's office, a full judge, not a magistrate, but – and the girls ushered me to the back normally you just give it to the clerk right and they said all oh, the judges wanting to know what was in that package because there was there was a whole bunch of stuff involved that was kind of cool right so i go in this palatial judge's chambers and he said what would you find and i said well nothing he goes we mean nothing and i kind of tell him what was in these boxes that we had this search warrant for and he says well you know <clears throat> i was in germany he said, when I got out of law school, I joined the Army and was commissioned as a first lieutenant or second lieutenant or whatever. And the Army paid for my law school if I did six years. And he said, they sent me over to Germany to be a JAG lawyer, and that was at the height of the Cold War. And he said, our office was within walking distance of the Brandenburg Gate where you could cross between East and West Germany. And he said there was a gentleman that would every, sometimes every week, sometimes a couple times a week, would cross through the Brandenburg Gate with a wheelbarrow load of dirt. And he said we detained him, the East Germans detained him, the Russians detained him. We x-rayed the wheelbarrow, they x-rayed the wheelbarrow. We tested the dirt, they tested the dirt. And it wasn't until the fall of the wall and the collapse of the Soviet Union that we found out you know people found out and a friend of mine called me and said hey you're never going to guess what the deal with the wheelbarrows was he was smuggling wheelbarrows so <laughs> they were very cheap and easy to get on the american side they were good. hard to get on the east german side so he would start with he just go get a brand new wheelbarrow full full of dirt and push it through the gate right and then they never put it together. That he never had the wheelbarrow coming back. He always had it going over. So, back to these UFOs. No, no matter what the greatest minds come up with, it won't be right, right? It'll be they're looking through a prism of their own uh, education and experience and that sort of thing, background, if you will. And they're probably not going to be. They may be close, but they're probably not going to be right. Uh, okay down it. Could be because because knowing what you know now you could go out here and fill up you know i don't know what you could get that you know my daughter asked me when the first thing when the very first one they were talking about shooting down remember and yeah said something about china and i said you know this those on fourth of july that's the big thing to put those chinese balloons you know what I mean you start the little fire and the thing and they oh yeah you know, and I yeah, said that's what it is. Yeah. And she said, "Are you serious?" I said, "Yeah, I guess." he'd come all the way from China, and they're freaked out about it. I don't know. <laughs> you know, I, I, you know, but so now is it college kids that want to do a prank? So they get an inflatable pool and fill it full of helium or whatever it takes. You know, at the, at the local community college and let it go up there and say, "Screw the man." I don't know. Right. <laughs>
2: Well, so so Nate, so Nathan, then I I want to ask you. Like I said, you you've you know you're needy uh, yeah. <laughs> in, in pop culture, like so. Can you imagine this sort of stuff being talked about by the government in the 40s and 50s and the reaction by people then? Like, what, what do you think has changed
4: over the years? Uh, well, I think we're a lot more skeptical. You know, I think there are a lot more places for people who are skeptical uh, to congregate. Uh, and then just the. Blinkered way that my brain works is I relate everything to the songs of Weird Al Yankovic, Uh, of whom I am am, the world's preeminent expert. Uh, So I'm thinking of songs like uh, Attack of the Radioactive Hamsters from a Planet Near Mars, uh, or Foil in which uh, he explains. Wars, uh, this this USO phenomenon. Um, uh, so yeah, I'd, I'd have to I'd have to check in with him what's uh, really going those, on with weather balloons. Those are deep cuts. I'm just going. to... Well, the you. attack of the radioactive uh, hamster from a planet in Mars, which I'm just a very of myself that I got that name correct. Uh, that is, in fact, a, a deep cut by Defoe. That's actually one of his uh, one of his more recent bangers. Uh, that was a, a flat out single, and you know that again, that kind of explores the whole conspiratorial mindset uh, and how it has evolved uh, with time and has evolved with you know, the way that you know we communicate uh, and the internet. I think has kind of set the whole thing aflame. Uh, so yeah, there can just be more and more wild 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 conjecture
2: yeah that's i mean that is true we see that with the uh, you know just some of the video like some of the videos and stuff that come across uh, from people like this is evidence of this and this is and, and you can't hardly even tell what's uh what's real and what's a really good fake <laughs> anymore i mean it's so uh
4: so yeah, I mean the, the, I mean, the whole the whole idea of deepfakes uh, to me is very, very, uh, I don't mean, know, kind of fascinating, but also incredibly creepy and disturbing, because it seems like with deep fakes, you can make anybody do anything. <laughs> I don't think that necessarily should be the case. You know, you shouldn't have uh, Albert Einstein starring in a breakdancing movie. Uh, <laughs> you know, sir, sure, sir. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> certain boundaries that should be respected and just because you can have you know the uh, cgi Albert einstein you know and step up side in, uh does not mean that you necessarily should have it there's uh what's i think from from uh, jurassic park uh just because you can uh doesn't mean that you should
2: oh i like that i like that reference i like that um so so nathan tell tell us a little bit um because you got some pretty impressive credentials and um you know i, I it's not everybody that gets to be the head writer at the onion
4: so,
2: so you know can you kind of tell us how you got into into all this stuff and um and for the record i was i mean i'm probably Ill little bit older than you I think but I was a huge Weird Al fan back in the back in the day I was the guy that had you know his first couple albums and and stuff when the kids when I went to school were like who who is this guy and then Edith gets on the radio and they're like oh my god you've been listening to this guy for years and I I don't know whether they thought I was weird or a genius but uh you know I'm 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 not as big a Weird Al Fan as you, because you have certainly made it a big part of your life. But man, I do, I do appreciate everything he um, he has done over the years. I think he's, I think he's very underrated.
4: Yeah, well, I mean, I kind of feel like, uh, God, uh, like, yeah, I sort of grew up uh, with Weird Al. The first album that I ever owned uh, was, I think, he really was in the news Sports, and then I had an album called Thriller. Uh, by Michael Jackson, and like the third album that I ever owned was In Three D, uh, by Weird Al Yankovic. I remember as a kid listening to Doctor Demento, and I was obsessed with the radio. I listened to Doctor Demento, and the Funny Five, and I listened to Casey Kasem, and the Top Forty, and I felt like those were kind of you know the two uh, sides of a coin. You know, you had the mainstream and the popular and the stuff that everybody listened to, and then you had the crazy stuff, that Doctor Demento wind up radio Um, and uh, yeah I just uh, I remember the the first uh, concert that I ever went to was Weird Al Yankovic opening for the Monkees uh, and I was equally obsessed with both. This was 1986, so this was actually the second uh, Monkeys reunion tour. Uh, the first one was, was way more popular. That's one of the fun things about working on, I wrote Weird Al Yankovic's uh, coffee table book, uh, Weird Al the Book, with him, is that I got to hear some of the gossip and some of the some of the dish. Uh, yeah, so apparently that, that second time around, the Monkeys weren't anywhere near as popular, so they kind of had to cut a lot of costs, uh, which is not ideal when you're touring with somebody but uh yeah i remember going to that show and being blown away and i could have left after riddle yankovic and been happy uh and i remember yeah talking to my dad like it's so incredible like they can play any kind of music and they have such showmanship and such theatricality and I had no idea what a a profound impact Weird Al would have on my my life uh, going forward and then uh, yeah when I went away to college um, I hooked up with uh, the AV club which was the um, the uh, entertainment side of the anime and got actually a very long possibly four boring and tedious story of how i got involved with the onion uh, but i'm gonna tell it anyway i apologize
0: oh, <laughs> i apologize
4: preemptively uh so yeah so i um my older sister was friends with this guy mike Lowe, who is a graphic designer of the onion did amazing amazing stuff uh if you remember the uh the headline uh Christ Returns to the NBA of uh, Jesus Slam Dunking. That was some of Mike Lowe's Photoshop magic. Uh, So my sister said to Mike Lowe, hey, my brother is really funny. He should write for The Onion. How does he do that? Uh, And he should have said, you know, F that. We don't need anybody else. Leave me alone. Uh, but my sister is very charming and appealing, so he said, hey, what you can do is you can send lists uh, to the editor of The Onion, and if he'd like those lists, maybe he'll invite him to be part of like a, a meeting to, uh, to, to to hash out uh, different headlines and assignments and whatnot. So I would uh, send these uh, lists to The um, Onion, and again, this was in 1996. Uh, so I would write them out on loose leaf paper with a pen, and then I would put it into an envelope, and then I would send that envelope uh, to the to the editor's address. And it was crazy because, like, every week he would call me up and explain to me why all of my ideas were bad. <laughs> <laughs> well,
2: well, at least he took at least he took the time. To call you up and tell you why
4: he they were back. I mean, that was amazing. And again, everyone yeah. was thinking at the time, like, part of me was, you know, I'm an insecure 20 year old. Like, why are you being critical of me? And then the pragmatic, you know, appreciative part was thinking, this guy is a genius. Uh, he's giving me these lessons in comedy and he's teaching me how comedy works. And he's like, even though I'm just
1: this dumb shit.
4: Who's going to Madison Area Technical College uh, at the time? I hadn't even transferred over to Madison. Uh, but at the end of each time, he'd be like, but you know, you have some promise, so keep on sending less. Uh, so finally, I think I had uh, I, uh, three total headlines uh, that made it into the onion. I think one was uh, Vincenzo Brothers give federal government five days to pay off national debt. Uh, I had about uh, oh, the Vatican, Vatican condemns whack MCs uh and then U.S. to utilize tony danza based curriculum uh and that one ended up actually being weirdly prescient because uh tony danza actually has background is as a school teacher uh, and he actually had a reality television show in which uh, he you know tried to be a teacher in philadelphia
2: so so the real question is what would Ron yes. DeSantis think of the Tony Danza curriculum?
4: Yes, that is a good question. You'd uh, <laughs> uh, he, wonder who the boss was. That's, that's no, the I like <laughs> oh, I like that. I like that. Taxi subsidies for everybody. Oh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> the two who, things I remember. Who uh, really? Are,
2: who really was the boss? I, did, we, did they ever? Did they ever really? Because I mean that was. <laughs> Somehow I know that was a subject of debate. Who really was the boss in that? Was it the kid, Tony Danza, the mom?
4: I don't oh, know. I guess that's a good Because I guess, I guess uh, it, literally the mother would be the boss in that she employed Tony Danza as a housekeeper. Uh, so she is the boss. But I think in, in, in a more um, metaphorical sense, maybe Tony Danza was the boss or he thought he was the boss, but he found out that he wasn't the boss. It's been a long time uh, since I've watched uh, Who's the Boss. Uh, so I would in these things. And finally I had some men and they said, well, why don't you? come in and you can you know come to a meeting and we'll all talk about stuff And yeah, I went to two meetings and I was terrified Uh, and I was 20 years old uh, and everybody else was only three or four years older, but they seemed ancient and they seemed so accomplished and so impressive. And then I went to, you know, I would like uh, read out my ideas and I would be so nervous that like you couldn't even understand them and they weren't that good to begin with. And then my terrible delivery just made them worse. And then finally we uh, had, you know, like a meeting and it was final meeting of the uh old editor and like the first meeting of the new editor. And he was going to Los Angeles to make it in the business. Uh, and then I remember, God, I remember him giving uh the new editor a Vince Lombardi plaque, an inspirational Vince Lombardi plaque. And this was in Madison, Wisconsin, so it wasn't that ironic, but <laughs> he genuinely loves Vince Lombardi. And I remember uh, him saying uh you know, like, I know this is ironic, but, like, the Onion is, we have this incredible power, and we're going to be, like, this national force, and we're going to be a household name, and everybody's going to know who we are, and we're going to, like, have this profound impact on, like, the cultural discourse. And I remember uh, looking at me, like, you're out of your fucking mind. <laughs> like, you are so <laughs> deluded. You think the Onion's going to be huge? Just like this dumb, you know, uh, joke because rag. I didn't
3: after. think it had that. Hey, he didn't think it had that potential, or what, what
4: was I, he? No, like? I just, I just, I, I, I think I was just, I was just bitter because I knew that they didn't like my ideas and that I was on my way out. Uh, so I think I was just like God, like for you to like be so highfalutin like my goodness like you're just and everything that he said turned out to be true and everything that he said like come came to fore and then at the end of the meeting he said hey nathan uh can you stick around i want to talk to you afterwards and i I had a sense that he was not going to uh not going to offer me a staff position or or anything and i remember him saying uh you know not really working out here uh, you got you got three or three main uh, things going against you. One of which is you're, you're too young, you're only 20 years old, like you're only a little younger than us, but you know, there's like a, a crucial element that you're kind of missing. Uh, the second one, which is uh, you don't really have a niche. There's not something that like you do better than anybody else. Uh, third one. You're not that funny.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's what the guy guy told you?
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we ended up being good friends and, you know, he
2: he went to my wedding. uh, Did you remind him of that statement that you're not that
4: funny? Uh, I I don't know that I, I I mean I think he probably remembered it you know and I don't think he meant he meant it you know uh, overly critical or anything and at that point I was just grateful I was just like I'm just grateful because I'm out of place here I don't belong here I'm overwhelmed now uh, why
3: I, do you think that is
4: well I mean guess I wasn't
3: no uh, hold I, on back up now he he said something about you weren't that or you did about your age because. You, he thought age, some kind of wealth of experience came with age?
4: Well, I think it's just that I was very green. I mean, I was literally nine months out of living in a group home for mostly disturbed adolescents. Uh, Which so sounds I like was, a
3: hell of a, I mean, if you want to get some background, to me, that sounds <laughs> yeah. better than any uh, J school you can go to, doesn't it? It did. Well, I, I mean, mean
4: that honestly. Ended up, that ended
3: up
4: being really good. Uh, I mean, you
3: know, you can yeah. hire all kinds of English majors to edit, but who can you hire on the street that's been through an adolescent home like that?
4: Well, I've, I, the, the, the problem with me is that I have a lot of personality and a lot of weird, interesting things about me, but I don't have any like, grammar. <laughs> or I don't have any professionalism. Any, or the crap that people get when they go to, to, to J school and whatnot.
3: I doubt uh, that. I mean, have you been around some of
0: them? I'm I've been, been around ar- I've been them. Bobby, I've been around.
3: Holy smokes!
4: I've been around a fair amount. Uh, so I, yes, yeah, so I. So he said, like, yeah, you're you're no longer welcome. Uh, he said, but you can like, why don't you like do some movie reviews? av club guys seem to need all the help they can get uh and that was true because like the entertainment section at that point consisted of the uh, editor coming into the writers the comedy writers room and being like who wants to review this crappy movie for five dollars And they literally got paid five dollars you would get reimbursed for the price of your ticket and you would get paid five dollars and i remember the first movie that i ever wrote about uh the ticket was seven dollars and then I did get reimbursed, uh, so I actually ended up losing $2 uh, oh, my first review for the for – the, uh, and yeah, it's now he's the head of uh, music for NPR. He's gone on to be very, very successful. He's host of Pop Culture Happy Hour. But I'm like, yeah, those guys sure seem to need a lot of help. Um, I'll call the up or I'll contact him and then I never did that uh, because I was just too shy or too nervous or too overwhelmed and then I ended up um, working at a video store with the guy who ended up being the uh, assistant editor of the AV club and I started to ask, I said hey after about nine months of working together I said hey can I like write a movie review for you and he's like Sure. Like we've actually been talking about this. I remember the first two that I ever wrote about were um, Tromeo and Juliet which was a uh, version of Romeo and Juliet written by a young uh, maverick of the silver screen, James Gunn. Uh, that was first big thing. And then it would be called seconds. And then the comedy writers were writing uh, Artem Century. So they did not have time to write movie reviews. So I wrote movie reviews. That's kind of how I ended up uh, getting involved. And then, yeah, when I graduated from college, I became a staff writer and the internet was exploding and, Everything was good and the world radiated infinite promise. And yeah, I had no idea how fucked I was. Or how everything was <laughs> going straight downhill.
2: So James Gunn wrote whoa, okay
4: Tromeo and Julia. Yes.
2: Tromeo and Julia. I'm trying to remember that movie. Um, because I also worked at a video store back at probably, I mean, you're talking the 90s, right? The yeah, 90s. yeah, yeah, yeah. I was from
4: 1990 to 1996, 90, you know, 90, yeah, maybe 90 to 96, I worked at a video store.
2: So I worked a little 92
4: bit 92 to that. 96, yeah.
2: I worked a little bit after that, and I'm trying to, Tromeo and Juliet. Oh my gosh, I'm yeah, looking
4: def- at it right now. Definitely. One, if I remember correctly, there's a scene involving a mutant lactating cow. A, <laughs> a mutant lactating cow? Yeah, which I don't think was in the original Shakespeare. I think Probably that may not. have been a, a Tromeo edition there. Uh, so, yeah, and then I worked for the uh, for the AV Club for about uh, uh, 12 years, and I got a direct message uh, from Yankee Yankovic. Uh, asking me if I would be interested in writing his book and I remember very vividly Jumping up and down with my wife, my 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 now wife, and saying, "Oh my god, oh my god, we're going to be rich, we're going to be rich." Uh, Spoiler: yeah, I did not get rich, but I did get to write his book. I to writing several more books, uh, and writing several coloring books about Weird Al Yankovic. So yeah, it's been it's been it's been a wild ride. Uh, I've been doing this for twenty six years.
2: So so how big of a how big of a thrill was that then? And to find out that Weird Al was essentially a fan of yours,
4: uh, it was incredible. Um, and I think I think I mentioned him, like in, in the, in the um, uh, either in the uh, acknowledgments for my first book, The Big Rewind, which was published in two thousand and nine, uh, Where I even might have spoken about how he had a really indelible impact on my sense of humor. And I feel like for a lot of smartasses, you kind of have this. Um, Arc. You know where you're a kid and you find Mad Magazine uh, and you find Weird Elliot Yankovic and they kind of hit you to how the world really works. And the fact that l- adults are liars and, you know, capitalism <laughs> is, it, it's, it's, oh yeah, well, I mean, they, they, you know, the whole commercials exist to sell you things you don't need. Uh, so that horrible people can have more money. Uh, and yeah, we're not. I remember um, you know the song Yoda. Uh, that making really release uh, backed on me. And one of the lines in it is uh, the long term contract that I had to sign said I'll be playing this part until the end of time with my Yoda. Uh, and I remember thinking, like, that is so, I never thought about that before. You know, that these actors have to play these roles and they're locked into it. And, you know, you see it as a story and this adventure and, you know, that your childhood is based upon. And it's a business. You know, and, and it's fascinating too that this was written in, oh, in 1981, 1982, uh, because he couldn't get the rights to use it initially. And you look at it now, and Carrie Fisher, uh, is playing Princess Leia even after she died, yeah, true. That is, he like any, any anticipated all of that, I and mean, he predicted, you know, and, and at the moment, like, it wasn't that unusual to be like, oh, they make sequels to popular movies, uh, but I don't think. People realize just how crazy it would be. I mean, like there's also um uh, O2 superhero is a uh, Spider Man song. And he talks about, you know, the sequel, the inevitable sequel to the 1997, 98 uh, Spider-Man. And not only did they make a sequel to that, but they made a sequel to that sequel. And then they rebooted the whole thing. And then they made a sequel to the reboot. And then they rebooted it a third time. And then they made a sequel to the reboot. And then they made a multiverse second sequel that's also a sequel to the Spider-Man 3 and the Amazing Spider-Man 2 because it involves anyway, it's, it's all very complicated. And my point is that Weird Al predicted it all: The Simpsons and The Onions and Weird Al predicted it all. And I think also, uh, <laughs> <with> forty-six <laughs> years old like I am, those are also kind of the 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 cornerstones of your sensibility, and you know, kind of showed you how the world works and how to see the world when you're at a young and uh, suggestible age.
2: Well, I want to um, I want to point out one thing from Romeo and Juliet
4: yes
2: do you remember who the narrator was of that movie uh
4: lemmy from motorhead
2: yes lemmy yeah from
4: motorhead.
2: <laughs> lemmy from motorhead that's fantastic yeah so i um
4: i don't remember anything that my wife tells me <laughs> but for some <laughs> reason I remember, that. I remember that lemmy from motorhead was the narrator for uh fantastic. For look it's fantastic because i
2: because so Holler and I got some some great fans over in Europe. And I know that, Holler, would you agree Stephen Wade has to be a motorhead? Yeah, I would think.
3: I mean, uh, yes. I mean, I would think. <laughs> yeah. You know, certainly, if not, he's, I mean, maybe he's just playing the part, right? We all have to play the part. <laughs>
2: so, so okay. So, And I wanted to ask you this, Holler, because of where you grew up. Uh, now, I did not have access to Dr. Demento here where I grew up in Ohio. So I did not even discover Dr. Demento till actually a guy I worked with made a bunch of CDs for me off of the computer to where I could listen to a bunch of old Dr. Demento programs. Did you did you guys
3: have him access no, to him? I I, t- I never heard of Dr. Demento till just right now. This is <laughs> today. I was today's old I was trying to think, was it a James Bond show that i didn't see you know? <laughs> yeah. or was it a spoof remember how uh who oh, made yeah. those in like flint movies you know who i'm talking about james
0: Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah james uh, covert had to almost a little spin off of 007 that's what i was trying to figure out if it was something like that no we yeah uh, that's that's weird that's weird that like in the
2: because i think dr demento had to be in detroit in places like that detroit,
3: we were Cleveland. in the still in the throes in the 80s we were still in the throes of the beverly hillbillies Reruns,
0: <laughs>
3: e on Saturday. You know, my my big brother was a uh, just a crazy mad magazine guy, right? Him and his little crew, and and I just remember people would look at that when I say people, people our age, you know, like middle school yeah. to high school, yeah. and 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 think like, what kind of freaking planet are you guys on? And in some ways they they thought completely different from their environment, right? Especially mm-hmm. at that time where I grew up, because where I grew up it was it was it was ninety-five percent German Catholics, right? Get, head down, go to work, go to church, keep your mouth shut, and 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 pay your bills. That's all that you were expected to do your entire life, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and 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 not thumb your nose at authority, and <laughs> oh, absolutely. So so, reading those spy versus spy or some what? you know stuff like that. I I just I I loved it when I was a kid. I loved it, you know. But everybody, you know, not everybody, but they should, you know. I keep reading where, and this dovetails in with your your trashy culture, uh, you know, where the it's fatherless families creating all these weird problems in America. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. I'm not for sure big brotherless family and not necessarily a true biological brother, but the kids nowadays, not the the boy kids, you know, if you're a senior in high school, you don't necessarily foster that uh, nurturing of the younger ones. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. If you don't, I'm sorry. You don't, if
2: somebody isn't, didn't do that for you, you don't turn around and kind of, you know, if you're the senior in high school and are you teaching the freshmen sophomores, you know, how yes. To, how to make that next step in their band? Yes. Or,
3: yes. Hood and hood and hood I just you know certain certain days I can remember you know 1984 when Van Halen's 1984. I mean I remember my big brother and his buddies, mm-hmm. uh, you know, with with they weren't real Stratocasters, they were knockoffs, trying to be Eddie Van Halen. You know, and 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 mm-hmm. and in the midst of a of a place that was. So far now, Shane, you're you it's fairly close it's closer to where you grew up uh than than Chicago. Uh you know, that there was people out there that that I don't want to say thought differently because you could think differently all you wanted, you as long as you shut your mouth and didn't talk differently. Does that make sense? You <laughs> oh, yeah. think all you want. <laughs> but you do not act on those impulses. Yeah, because yeah. we will shame you. Yeah, exactly. Like,
2: like um, like Nathan, like just the idea that you, and I guess we never did that. Like, where did you, where were you born? Where did you grow up?
4: Uh, I was born in Kansas City, Missouri. Uh, and then I grew up in Chicago, uh, okay. partially outside of Milwaukee. Um, so, yeah, it's, I remember, I think just over the course of my life, geography has become a lot less important, you know, because with the internet, you can connect with anybody anywhere. And you can have these sort of two lives. And one of your lives is, you know, in Alpharetta, Georgia, where I live right now, and the other one is on the Internet. Uh, and I'm not sure that one is necessarily more important than other. And then actually, speaking of that, you know, so we talked about Dr. DeVento. Uh, you know, I guess now he's basically on the Internet. Uh, and that is nice and that, you know, it's available for everyone. But it's, you know, something is kind of lost. Like there's something uh, special you know about i guess kind
2: of the um, yeah if you i know this, i yeah. know i know what you're saying is is you knew when you were listening to D- Dr. Timento that you not everybody got to listen to him and it, oh, was, yeah. it kind of held like a romantic spot in your heart cuz it's and not you know and to go back to like the weird out i knew like where i was from having that first album um you know and, that not everybody had heard Mr. Frump and his iron love. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know awesome. what I'm saying? And then as a kid, I'm like, this is genius. I love this, this irrelevant sense of humor. And and it's like, um, I knew though that I was probably the only person in the county listening to that.
4: And we, well, but
2: we lived we lived so far out in the middle of nowhere, like I think the howlers talking about that, that right I could be a big fan of that and and dream about how cool it would be to be. Like Weird Al, but you didn't, we didn't have any outlet for that because if you just said, God, I want to be a writer, I want to write, you know, uh, songs like that, it'd been like, well, just go get your gun and let's work on the car. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. That's, yes. Uh, yes. Uh, oh, totally. it's, yeah. It's, so I think, like, um, you know, it, it is important, you know, whether you're that big brother teaching. The kid, the the people following you. Hey, let's let's go get your gun and go hunting. Or yeah, you can play play guitar, or you can write for a living, or you can do, you know whatever. I think you need that kind of uh, inspiration, and that's today you can get that inspiration. Like you know, I've talked to people in Nashville all the time, work with artists and songwriters and stuff. And that's something I would never have been able to do 30 years ago, you know? And so it it does help get that creative side out. So I'm I'm definitely envious of people that got to experience that at a younger age, you know? Not that it would have been better for me.
4: yeah I mean I think part of it is you know you, you find your people and you find the things that really speak to you and it's a lot easier to do now that you have the internet and you know Weird Al uh, last year uh, they put out uh, his biopic uh, his parodic biopic yeah. uh, and it's I, I love that movie I've seen it several times I wrote a special essay for it uh, for the 516 page uh, latest version of my epic book about Weird Al's complete life's work The Weird Accordion to al Uh, and there are scenes in there where he is you know sending off his home demo uh off to dr Demento. and it's literally you know you record it on a, a tape or on eight tracks and then you put it in the mail and then somebody plays it on the stereo and there's something so um nostalgically satisfying about that about how primitive it is and it reminds me of me like when i was sending stuff in for the onion and you know my god the career that he has carved for himself did not exist uh when he was 16 years old and the thing that's amazing about weirdo is it's never existed for anybody other than him you know, nobody <laughs> yeah. else in the world has a yeah. career where we're sort of talking to you about the stuff that's popular and stuff that's, you know, more obscure. Uh, one of the sort of tropes and conventions of Red Al's albums is that the first song is the single and the first song is the parody and the first song is the hit and the first song is the song they really want people to hear and they think has a very good shot of being successful. And then the last song is completely insane. <laughs> it's, it's always, 12, it, 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 yeah, it's like 12 you, minutes you, long, or it's like a like a Isn't it like a polka song? Well, like, I think it, the first one was, was there. But Mr. Frump and the Long, it's like the first one is for. You know everybody, and then the last one is the one that gets your mind to be like, "Why are you listening to this? And what is wrong with this man?" Uh, so I feel like the culture have come to appreciate the final song and everything that it represents a lot more. When I uh, started working for Al in, in 2011, I felt like sort of my job was to make a case for him as an important artist, as a satirist, as this you know sort of national treasure, and I felt like I did a pretty okay job uh, with that. In Weird Al the book um but then he himself has made that argument a lot more and you know he hasn't really he not put an album in nine years uh which is kind of crazy when you think about that but he's more respected and popular probably than ever before uh and part of that is you know that he can build on everything that he's done before through things like you know his movie which is you know, a meditation on, uh, his career and has re-recorded versions of a lot of his hits, uh, where, yeah, he's sort of taking something old and making it new and taking something new and investing it with the old. Well,
2: well, I will say, I will say this, that number one, every year at Christmas at my day job as a mailman, they are. The guy next to me always plays Christmas songs, and I always remind him, Hey, you need to play Christmas at Ground Zero. Um, and so he'll, he plays, so at least once a year, I get to hear Christmas at Ground Zero. And I encourage everybody that has never heard that song to go look it up right now and, and listen to it.
4: <laughs> well, I to, and again, it's just like the way the world has worked is so fascinating to me because that is a pastiche of Phil Spector through sort of yeah. the Phil Spector Christmas album. Yeah, exactly. And, and the time since he recorded that, uh, Phil Spector murdered somebody and
3: allegedly. <laughs> became, I, I, I think he still claims newspaper. he's innocent, doesn't he? <laughs> okay. I don't. I don't
4: know. Yeah.
2: I don't know
3: what Phil Phil Spector is claiming
4: He died of COVID in prison, I believe. Right.
3: Uh, you know, I think he did. I know he got his hair cut in prison.
4: Because Robert Robert Blake, <laughs> Robert Blake uh, yeah, I think he's still running around committing crimes.
3: Wait, he's are you willing Are I you trying
2: are you trying to say Robert Blake killed Phil Spector in prison? Is
4: that what <laughs> right? so, yeah? Yeah. Well, we'll that, see. That is I,
3: I did, you know, I watch uh, Pluto, you know, a lot at and and I I see I watched uh uh, Carson interview. I watched a lot of Carson's crazy that sound, and he had um, Robert Blake on there. And I guess first of all, I didn't realize Robert Blake was a real star at one point. Oh yeah. And second of all, he was kind of an oddball back in his heyday of the Beretta days. I, I you know, he he.
2: Yeah, he came across. He came across kind of a yeah. You're right. I guess oddball would be a good assessment.
3: Well, a little <laughs> man. You know, I could totally oh, see. Yeah. He had little man syndrome. And anyway, yes, you're right. Phil passed from us January sixteenth, twenty twenty one. And 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 I didn't realize uh until I don't know if it was uh cocaine and rhinestones or maybe it's Marin when I listen to the podcast that Phil Spector did a hell of a lot of stuff. I mean he produced a oh, yeah. lot of yeah. stuff. Yeah. Sure. Mm-hmm. So does the does the money turn them odd, or are they odd to begin with?
4: I think he was always nuts, you know. I think he was always kind of bonkers, and he had, you know, sort of both Robert Blake uh, and. Um, uh, so they had, had oh, their yeah. sort of traumatic childhoods and they you know sort of became very successful very young and I think their brains weren't uh, able to you know sort of handle that level of success uh, particularly with you know their level of mental illness and you know awful
3: relationship with their parents and we yeah Bucks and they don't know how to—it short circuit them. Oh, for sure, for sure, man. Yeah, did,
4: yeah, you look at like uh, Robert Blake's last, uh guess, memorable performance was in Lost Highway, uh, the David Lynch movie where he's so, so, so unbelievably creepy. And yeah, I think that's him and Richard Pryor's uh, All right. final film. So yeah, two, two icons.
2: I have never seen Lost
3: Highway
4: oh my god, is so good, and his part is so disturbing and iconic.
3: You know, Wasn't like he, didn't he characters. play in, um, what was the Kansas Killer movie? Um, oh, Full Blood. Was he in that?
4: Yeah, 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 that was one of his sort of star-making terms, and again, he he very convincingly played a murderer uh, in that, so yeah, it's just interesting to think about, you know, that was theoretically innocent and whimsical and all-American you look back at like, no, and you're like, that man. that was insane, and also a murderer.
2: Well, that that brings me okay to to something. Um, when I was doing some research on you, um, and I went to, I don't want this to sound weird, but I went to Nathan Robbins' happy place,
0: <laughs> right? which I
4: want people to go there,
2: which I encourage everybody to go to Nathan Robbins'. Happy A Raven's happy place yes, right. is that you did and uh, like a review of the movie Ghost Dad. Oh yeah, which, yeah, yeah. which now, Holler, do you remember Ghost Dad? Who the star no, of
3: Ghost Dad was? I don't. I don't even know what was that about. When when did it came? When did it come out?
2: Uh, I'm going to say ninety two or three.
4: I think eighty nine. I think I was still in the nineties. Oh, movie. it was
2: eighty nine. It was still eighty yeah. nine. That was a Bill Cosby vehicle in which he played. The dad who died and came back to terrorize, right as a ghost. And I I, I got—I vividly—I mean, I remember going to the theater to see that and being so disappointed because it was not funny. It was—it was a—it was right on par with. Uh, Jojo Dancer Your Life Is Calling the Richard Pryor movie that I went to see in high school that I thought oh it's going to be funny it's Richard Pryor it was terrible wait, wait
3: a second now you tell me Pryor was in a movie and he wasn't funny
4: uh, I do not remember. Well, it. he he, uh, he directed it. It was he covered up the screenplay and he directed it. I think with Paul, with, with Paul Mooney, uh, and it was autobiographical. Uh, so I remember it being yeah, pretty pretty. It involved like sort of his uh, his childhood where he grew up in a in a uh, in Peoria, Peoria, yeah. uh, Illinois. But a, lo- a lot of trauma there. So Paul, I, you know, Paul Mooney second. was it, Paul Mooney was a
2: co-writer on that. So two yeah, funniest yeah. dudes of of the sixties and eighties wrote a screenplay that has no humor in it. Like that's
4: yeah, well, I think I think the idea was it is you know, sort of sort of prove himself as a dramatic actor, which again I think you know he was an incredibly talented guy. He could do anything if he wanted to. Uh, but uh, it's funny they mentioned that because Ghost Dad and uh, being dramatic because I also wrote about um, Fat Albert. Which was Bill Cosby. Oh, yeah. The thing that's really fascinating to me about Fat Albert, other than they made a live action Fat Albert movie in 2004, is that it's incredibly depressing uh, and that it begins with the heroine being sad about her grandfather dying and that it ends with. Uh Bill Cosby and who you're led to believe are the inspirations for the Cosby Kids, uh, all trudging, <laughs> literally all trudging down to the cemetery to go pay <laughs> their respects to the guy who uh, who inspired uh, the character Fat Albert. So and like literally, there's like a half hour of literally just like this is just about death and Bill Cosby <laughs> being sad that he's old. So it's a lot of his friends are dead. But and somehow, have, again, this this somehow made it. Somebody's like, yeah, the the fact that this is incredibly depressing. It's just about like mortality and aging. Like, yeah, it's just very now, very. Confusing. Now hold on a
3: second. Now, do you think you think that because you're probably, and I'm I'm going to tiptoe around this. You because I have this problem sometimes because I don't want to talk down to the general public because my audience makes up some of the general public. <laughs> but, <laughs> Some people aren't that smart to (laughs) see the layers of a screenplay or a movie. So, you know what I mean? So maybe... They don't see it because you're smarter than they are, right? Yeah, uh,
0: but, I mean, huh.
4: but I, again, I think, you know, the the phrase funereal uh, would describe this. Because again, it's just like you theoretically want people to laugh and enjoy your movie based on a cartoon from the 1970s. You don't want them to be like, wow, death. Really uh-huh.
2: Hey, all. you know what? I love the mu- I We had that because that's when my daughters were, you know, fairly young. And it has some great music in there. I mean, oh my-, my my girls loved watched <laughs> loved watching that movie, and I enjoyed the I enjoyed the music.
4: well that's the 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 thing is they they literally they do the theme song three different times (laughs)
0: they're like what
4: do people like from this they like the theme song let's do it let's do it again let's do it a third time Uh, and it's like well it's certainly more popular than Bill Cosby coming to terms with his impending
3: death Uh, which still hasn't happened No, I was going to say he's went through some stuff and he's still clicking you know (laughs)
4: <laughs> and, he's, and he's planning on doing a doing a stand-up tour. Oh, I that's like, what they know. say. And, you know, it's so, not. So, Dude, so, no, I it's, think it's, yes, I it's think it's a game he's just go fucking Well, yeah. here
2: uh, now, listen, Nathan, I'm just going to tell you this because the fir- the only time I got to see Weird Al in concert, you know, guess who opened for him? Jeff Foxworthy. Really. Oh wow. So so now if you're telling me Bill Cosby's gonna make a comeback, I think Weird Al needs to go out and have Bill Cosby <laughs> <laughs> open for him. <laughs> him. <laughs> like there's gotta be some kind of like the ironic tour, right? Wouldn't that be called
4: <laughs> Yeah, I would, I would not, I would not want <laughs> to support Bill Cosby Basically. in any of his endeavors. <laughs> another- <laughs>
3: Beyond, beyond, like crawling into a hole somewhere and dying. Well, you know, no. And just tell him he's he's. I'm not going to say it. I was going to say something. (laughs) I won't. Daughter might listen to this, but I was going to say, women tickets half price, or what could you give the poor guy? (laughs) I don't know. But you know, it goes back to your trashy uh, uh, world we're in.
4: Yeah people will buy it
0: people are going to i mean he's going to sell out right
4: but they'll cost me drinks on me yes. 2023
2: and, <laughs> and people hate hey, drinks on, the did it, you say the drinks on me <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
4: 23. Yeah. 23.
3: <laughs> i'm telling uh, you man it's bad person. Buy it, you watch people will buy it and and <laughs> people buy the tickets
2: and can we because, copy nathan can we copyright that right now Oh, you'll laugh so hard you won't remember a thing. Yeah, yeah that's
4: right. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, my
2: God. Yeah. Oh, that uh, made
4: me oh yeah, so that's, that's one of the uh, one of the things that um, and the expanded version of my most recent book, The Joy of Trash, is I try and write about a lot of people and things that are terrible. Uh, And they're terrible from a moral standpoint, uh, as well as a uh, entertainment standpoint. So like one of the things that I write about is a coffee table book uh, devoted to Joe Camel.
2: Oh, my God. I couldn't. (laughs) Did you say Joe Camel? Camel,
5: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I, um, I got some of that. I think Jason sent me some stuff to read. And I started reading and I'm like, oh, my God, how do I not remember this? (laughs)
4: Yeah, <laughs> but, but yeah, you remember Joe Camel? Yeah, Camel there was... Buck
2: used to collect camel. Now, I never smoked or anything, but yeah. back in my college days, uh, one of the guys that's been on here a bunch, one of my best friends, his family owned a garbage business. And we'd stand on the back of the garbage truck in the summers and between on college breaks, and we would snag Marlboro Miles and Camel Bucks. And you'd send them in and you'd get all this free stuff. Unfortunately, it was all advertising Marlboro and Camel and none of us, none of us smoked, but you could get all this kind of cool stuff. But so, yeah, I remember Joe Camel.
4: Oh, yeah. Um, And again, just the idea that people would be so proud of it that they would do like a victory lap. They said, uh, because apparently uh, they did like a congressional uh, hearing and they found out that more children recognized Joe Camel than did Mickey Mouse. So, Joe Camel was more famous to children than Mickey Mouse was. Oh, now, God. part of that yeah. could
3: be the, the areas that they're holding those kids to, correct? <laughs>
4: yeah, that is that is possible. And they also they 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 pulled kids who had sent in uh camel cash, uh so that was not not the most objective demographic
3: there. Well, I hey, look Mickey. They should have had Mickey money then. If yeah, that's right. Uh, well, <laughs> you know, I, I've got my own Joe Camel stories, and I tell them my kids all the time. <laughs> what
4: what is it? What joke? Yeah, camel we would like story? to hear your Camel. Hey, when
3: I case. was a kid. When I was a kid. Uh. <laughs> It doesn't mean anything because you all don't know the city, but my grandmother lived overall in West Maine in Jefferson City, the, cap- the state capital, and she used to give me or my brother I remember when a carton of cigarettes was ten bucks, and then it got up to I think the last time I rode my bike to get one, it was sixteen or eighteen dollars a cart a a carton. I would ride my bike down because my grandma was born in 1919 and never drove. And I would ride my bicycle. She'd give me $20 bill. I'd ride my bicycle down to Convenient Food Mart. And if you're from here, you'd know where that's at. But anyway, walk in and she would let me buy like uh uh you know, uh Pepsi or grape soda was a thing back in them days or whatever. Let me buy some junk food with the change and and get her a carton of Marlboro. So when I was 12, 13, 14, I was buying a carton of—I'm sorry—camels. A carton of camels to bring back to my grandmother, who went to her grave smoking camels with no filters, blaming—hey, blaming, <laughs> hey, blaming <laughs> cancer <laughs> on the filter.
0: <laughs> <And> she she <laughs> because no
3: it, it was made out of plasters. I don't know, but she blamed the filter, and Doesn't she lived she, to be eighty-five. Wow! Did you have to
2: get have a note from her saying that you were able to? You were alive. Allowed the buy because you
3: know when I, when I, I, I think I used a note store, once or we, twice. I think I used a note once or twice, but not. <laughs> but that's it, man. Because I I guess they thought, man, if you're a kid, what other kid? First of all, I don't think it was illegal back then, was it? When they put the age limit on cigarettes?
2: Hey, look, all I know is I worked at a drive-through right out of high school for a little bit, and we had this girl come in and with a note like. I mean, I, I was just like, are you kidding me? You're like 12. buying like <laughs> and, she's, and the owner, Pudge, comes out and he goes, oh, that's okay. She's got a note from her mom. And I'm like, what? I go, Pudge, I've seen her. She's smoking out on the side. He goes, well, she's got a note. <laughs>
3: so you'd have to sell her cigarettes and she'd walk right out the door and light up a cigarette. Light like she a- wasn't writing the note herself.
2: Yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but but she but she had to look at it like I, I'm just glad that somebody in that family can write a note. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know what I'm saying. So what do you
3: oh, think? Yeah. Is it get, is it going to get worse, Nathan? Get worse?
4: Uh, I I feel like the general direction of the world is to just get worse and worse and worse. I feel like so we're, we're heading is, mean, what's the end look like I don't know. I feel like just over the course of my uh, lifetime, I feel like uh, life has gotten substantially worse. I feel like life gets better and worse at the same time. You know, it's kind of like technology, Like, I think we're all so incredibly grateful that technology has advanced so much, yet we're also so incredibly bitter and resentful and angry uh, that it's advanced so much. And you look back sometimes, like the 1980s, and, you know, you didn't have cell phones. And and it's crazy, too, that that is such a such a such a thing that people sort of fetishize, uh, sort of the lack of cell phones. because they really are a, a miraculous device. Uh, the, the problem is that they're too miraculous, you know, they're too good, and that they make the rest of the world outside of the computer uh, seem less shiny and less addictive and less exciting uh, by comparison.
3: Which is the reason why kids don't read books anymore.
4: Yeah, yeah, ostensibly so. You know, now you it, should, just, it should be easier to to read books and easier to find music. Yeah. but I but again too, that's you know, it's it's less special if you don't have to do the work. You know, and I think one of the things that made, you know, in 3D, the Al Yankovic album special was you had to buy it for $14 and then you had to put it on your uh, that's right. you know, LP and then you had to listen to it and right. you know, whereas now you can just, you know, download something. Uh, and you add it to your fourteen thousand songs in your iTunes catalog, and those fourteen thousand songs mean less to you than the 10 albums that you had when you were a kid.
2: I think I think you're one hundred percent right on that that music is really taken for granted these days for by by the people consuming it because. Um, it, it, because there's so much new music that comes out every week, it's—I think it's a stag. It's like Spotify on Spotify and SoundCloud, and that there's something like forty thousand new songs every. Oh, come on, who's putting them all out? Uh, it's all over the world. I kid you not. Wait, our buddy Wade has looked that up. It's like—and that's maybe a day gets downloaded to the internet. Now it doesn't mean that it's something anybody will ever hear. But, but but yeah, I mean, because I, you know, I work with a lot of young artists, and if they get a thousand streams in the first weekend, they're pretty excited because it's all independent. And the equivalent of that would have been, now there's no money in that thousand streams, but the equivalent of that would have been, you know, getting played on the radio back in the day a thousand times. selling a thousand singles or something, you know, I mean, there's, and that would have been a big deal back in the day. I mean, there's a lot of artists that would have you know, liked to have that the first day if they were independent and nobody knew who they were, you know? So it it doesn't, it doesn't, I'm right there with you. I don't think it means as much because you don't have to physically, you know, maybe then go and turn the record over when it's, I mean, you don't even have to turn the tape over. You know, at least even cassette tapes, you had to turn over to play the second side. You know, um, it's certainly it certainly is different. But uh, I mean, I'll tell and I will tell you and I, I think um, the whole uh, I think Weird Al is certainly underappreciated by you the mainstream, because as a, as a songwriter, I know how hard it is to write a good song about anything. OK, and I'm not even going to claim I've ever written a good song, but to sit there and take a song and write about something, you know, like eating food (laughs) or, or just, or just anything and turn it into something that is engaging and fun and smart. I mean, it's, I think that's more difficult than it is just to write the original song, you know?
0: but i do think oh, everybody
2: definitely. can relate to because everybody i don't think there's anybody that hasn't changed the lyric in a song to be funny as they're driving down the road hey, singing.
3: i heard michael jackson was a big al, al fan is that true
4: oh yeah yeah yeah. He was a very very big fan uh of his you know uh, and, and there are sorts of legendary things like um god uh it Riddell was uh, come comeback hungry, you know, I think he just come off of uh, the UHF. Yeah, I think UHF was a um, it obviously now considered a masterpiece, or a girl classic, but it was not a success at the time of its release. So he was going to return to uh, a familiar uh, source of inspiration uh, and he was going to uh, parody uh, Black or White, a snack all night. Uh and he called up uh, Michael Jackson and said hey Michael Jackson you know I've got this wonderful idea uh, here at the lyrics blah 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 and Michael Jackson said yeah you know that maybe isn't the greatest idea like maybe you're uh, returning to the well of food based parodies of my song uh, too often like why don't you you know maybe do something else uh, so in desperation he went and uh, parodied uh, A song called uh, Smells Like Teen Spirit. And (laughs) so, indirectly, Michael Jackson being like, no, that's not a good idea for a song. That sounds a little hack, uh, is responsible. Uh, for him uh, releasing, you know, what was uh, his huge comeback uh, song and he was in a whole new generation, sort of in a similar way, uh, James Blunt's uh, label said, no, you can't parody you uh, 'You're beautiful as you're pitiful. Like that somehow will lead to James Blunt being less respected and less popular and. God knows it destroyed Michael Jackson and Madonna's careers when Weird Al parodied one of their songs. We're going to say no. No to you, Weird Al Yankovic. So he's like, crap, I need a song that was going to be my single, blah, blah, blah. What will I do? Oh, there's a song, Writing Dirty. Uh, and I can do that as White and Dirty. <laughs> and so he kind of threw that together at the last minute. And that is uh, his biggest hit. His, uh, yeah, his, his, his very biggest hit. Uh, so yeah, sometimes, uh, when life closes a door, it opens a window.
2: It's hard to believe that white nerdy was a bigger hit than eat it.
4: Yeah. 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 It was, it was right up there. And you know, uh, the mandatory fund was his only album to debut at number one. And that was in 2014. So 31 years into his uh, career as a recording artist. Uh, and, uh, wow. Yeah, I, I think about it. Like he may never release another album. Like the industry has just changed in a lot of ways. And also if you were to put another album in order for it to have the same um sort of constitution before, it would have to be half parodies and half parodies of very big uh contemporary hits. And Al will be sixty four years old. <laughs> well I'm gonna
2: well I'm gonna throw I'm gonna throw it out there,
4: Nathan, yeah. since you
2: since you have a direct pipeline. Mm-hmm. If Weird Al wants to do a country album mm-hmm. and he wants to parody some 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 great country songs, I'm all in. Yeah. If he needs if he needs a co-writer. I'm all in. <laughs> I, I am have, I, I haven't I got a little experience in the country bar. I, I'm all in. I, I'll, I'll volunteer my services for at least one song because that yeah, would be yeah, yeah. much like you getting to write his auto his biography, that would yeah. be just that would be the, that would be the right up there. Right. You know
3: what, I think he should do instead of parody, parodying songs, he should parody news. <laughs> parody you news. know, so we could have Balloon Day and we could have, uh, you know, <laughs> mean different. Yeah, I think he should be parodying news stories.
2: <laughs> you mean he, listen, I don't, we don't need his competition with the podcast. I mean, come on. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs>
4: uh,
2: well, I think we could go on all day long because there's there's just this pot. The pop culture is a uh, endless, endless uh, well of uh, inspiration. I think, or desperation, however you want to look at. But, but, but Nathan, I want you to tell everybody that was listening that listens to this where they can where they can find Nathan Raven's happy place and check out some of these. Uh, uh, some of the books and stuff that you guys that you've written.
4: Uh, oh, uh, my website is uh, Nathan Raven's Happy Place. It's uh, my name, nathanraven.com and then uh, I, have my, I have a book coming out in March, uh, the extended version of The Joy of Trash and then uh, I've written a bunch of books about Weird Al that you can buy. Uh, I encourage you to buy them from the store and my website uh, that's you know, the shop uh, that you can find and then uh, I've got a podcast called Travolta Cage where me and my co-host watch and talk about all of Nicolas Cage and John Travolta's movies uh, in order and that's a lot of fun and we're very very, very, deep into that, and then I just started a new sub-stack called Nathan Raven's Bad Ideas, where I write about new movies, and I write about Oliver of Ernest P. Worrell's filmography, and I'm about to write about all of James Belushi's movies. Why? I don't know. It's a bad idea. So those are the places uh, where you can find me.
2: Now, now Nathan, um, to to add to your list, um, I know you probably have never heard of Escape from Death Block 13, but if you ever get to that movie... yes. I'd love to see the review on that and then go down the whole, uh, the guy that was in the movie with me, Robert Bronzy, who looks just like Charles Bronson. Oh
4: yeah, you know, yeah.
2: And go down all his movies that some of these producers with well designed intentions put him in these movies because he looks just like Charles Bronson. And, uh, that's a whole nother. That could be a whole nother.
4: Like, yeah, that 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 sounds like a bad idea for me. Right. You want yeah. for me to pursue? So it,
2: it is. Yeah, go watch uh, Death Kiss. That is a really bad idea. Awesome. But Bronzy's, a, but Bronzy's a fantastic guy, and 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 that's just a shame that you know these guys tried to exploit it. But uh, but Escape from Death Block Thirteen is a fantastic movie. I know the
3: how right? Frankly. Yeah, I mean, I I tell you what, I back to Pluto, right? You wouldn't want to catch Bronson movies. Get your Pluto app going. Like oh Bronson. yeah, <laughs> and um, yeah. <laughs> you know it would have made it, it. I don't want to take anything away from Bronzy. If Bronson would have made it, I think it could have been a real Bronson movie. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know? and and the,
2: and the bad thing was is I had on my list. To talk about Travolta Cage, so I'm just going to encourage everybody don't, to go don't, check. Don't. <laughs> that is a fantastic idea. I can't wait to go check that out and listen to it. <laughs>
4: That's a lot of fun. We had a lot of really great guests too. So I
2: love it. I love it. Well, Nathan, I I am thankful that uh, that Jason recommended you coming on, and I hope everybody enjoyed uh, all of our Nonsense because there's I think there's a lot. Of, it was a great discussion on some.
4: Oh, definitely. Cool, I, I, some had, cool I had topics. a lot of fun. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely.
2: And I'm super jealous because I, I too am a huge Weird Al fan and I respect all his work. And, um, in fact, I'm, I'm going to be ordering one of those coffee table books. So that's awesome. uh, I think, uh, I mean, it look right here good on my coffee table. You know
0: I'm <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: so, so, well, Nathan, thank you so much. and uh, yep, Yeah, it, it's, it's been a pleasure, man. It's been yep.
4: fun. Thanks, man. I appreciate awesome. it. Thank you so much. Right. Awesome. Good. Okay. Goodbye, guys.
0: Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of the From the Shadows podcast. Until next time, never shy away from the darkness or what may be lurking in the shadows. We are out.